Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And no, this is not a message on tithing, so don't panic. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read... Uh, We'll go ahead and read that passage now. If you'd stand to your feet, Matthew chapter 6, and let's find verse 25, and we're going to read to verse 31. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25, and we will read through 34, 34. And I'll be reading from the ESV. If you have a different version, um, we'll all end up at the same place. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more valuable value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his or her span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing or worrying about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which grass is here today and gone tomorrow, it's thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious or don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles or unbelievers or pagans seek after All these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious or worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we pray that your word would counsel us today, encourage us, guide us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we're going to listen to the counsel of Jesus and what Jesus says about worry. Somebody has said that ulcers are not caused by what you eat but by what is eating you. I like this. Someone also wrote, Worrying is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but it will get you nowhere. Useless is worry. We worry. It's some of our built-in mechanism of anxiousness and concern. And Jesus really hits at this in His teaching, in His Sermon right in the middle of the what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mountainside. Jesus teaches us about worry. How do we handle worry? Because 
we are consumed about just, and these are not things that are, as we'll see in a little bit as we unpack it, these are not unusual things that uh, are wants. These are the basic necessities and cares of just life. Basic necessities. He says for us to not be anxious, the ESV says, worry. Sometimes worry takes on a form of panic when something happens or you get a phone call or a diagnosis or something, then we begin to panic. Sometimes worry is just that abiding kind of cloud. You ever feel that where it's just a, it's just even in the midst of all the good things, there's just this, there's this cloud that's always there. I liken it to, some of you will know, uh, you know, computer terminology, Mr. Fabio, when you have a program running in the background and it's draining your memory. You can't see it, but you can feel it. You're like, why is it taking me two hours to download that cat video? You know? What is going on here? And you got something that's operating in the background, and it's draining resources. Worry does that, even when you're not aware of it. You can, everything could be going well, and yet it'll just hit you, and you think, why do I feel down? Why do I just feel this sense of anxiety in my life? Everything... Kids are doing well, you know, things are fine, but what is this? Sometimes it ex- goes into extremes and paranoia and fear. The word worry is interesting in how it became an English word. It actually comes from a German word in its origin. And think about how think about the origin of this German word means to strangle or to choke. That's what anxiousness worry. It chokes us. It, it strangles us. Sometimes you get fixated on a particular issue. Listen, it could be the bank taking or somebody taking money out of my account that I don't, you know, I didn't get permission to the cause, you know, because I can get, my wife knows I can get obsessed. I mean, I'm not going to be able to rest till I nail that situation down right? Whatever it is, it may seem small. And then somebody comes along and says, you know, it's not that big a deal. I always catch myself, and I probably did this to some of you when I may have visited you in the hospital, and, you know, they're having a little surgery. It's little when I'm standing by your bed. But if you're there, Larry, right, it's not little. When you're having the issue of something that is coming at you, and, and don't forget, these are just the stuff of life, eating, living, wearing. This is, this is just the basic necessities But Jesus knows these are the things that oftentimes will come against us in such a way that is running in the background and robs us of our vitality and our spiritual energy. We believe God. We love the Lord. We believe in Jesus. We we know we're going to heaven. We have the assurance of the Holy Spirit. And yet, we just find this drain in our system and an over-preoccupation of anxiousness and worry can strangle us out. It's, and what I find in my life is that some of the things that I worry about and become overly anxious about are disproportionate. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, when you look at it, it, it's really a relatively small, fixable issue, and yet my anxiety level is disproportionate to the situation or the problem. 
Do you ever find that true in your life? You're, you know, if somebody were looking, you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. You just need to call this guy and make this rain, whatever. And, you, and afterwards, you're just excited because you think, why didn't I think of that? And you think, well, that wasn't a big deal. But at the moment, you just feel like everything is pressing and crashing against you. And, and don't, even though we won't talk about this now, but the Bible says we do have an enemy that goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, what, eat, devour. And if he can devour you by an obsession of worry, he will use whatever that is to accomplish his ends. Someone wrote this. I have not personally verified this through my own self uh, explanation of science, but I thought this was interesting, that a dense fog of maybe 100 or so feet that might would cover seven or so blocks that if it was brought down into droplet, that really is a, about a billion droplets of water, that if it was liquefied would be in about a single glass of water. So it can, it can, it can shut down blocks of a city, and yet if it was liquefied, it was only would be about a glass of water. But yet, it, in the right form, a few gallons of water can cripple an entire city. So again, sometimes the obsession and worry and the anxiousness is disproportionate to the actual problem itself. Another person wrote this. Worry has been defined as a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all of the thoughts are drained. We had somebody uh, not too long back vandalize our van by cutting the gas line underneath. Was anybody here? Just curious. No, I'm kidding. Smile, laugh, come on. Enjoy the joy of the Lord, all right? We'll give you gas money if that was you. But Don discovered it as he was putting gas into the van, as he does just about every week, and all of a sudden he hear, heard, Gas pouring out the bottom. Somebody had interrupted the flow, the, the connection, so that every all the resource that we were putting into the tank was going out and being wasted away. That's what worry will do. Resources of the promises of God are being poured in, but the enemy or a situation has cut the line and everything's just being drained out. You're wondering, why is it my tank beyond, you know, just a quarter of a tank? What's wrong? Something has interrupted the process. And anxiousness and worry in our life can have a lot to do with that. Jesus addresses this very fundamental human emotion because he knows how it affects our life. And this morning, I want us to briefly look at seven things, and I'm going to say them quickly, so we're not going to be here an hour. And at the end, we are going to take some time to worship and acknowledge the God who is our source and provider. But look at these, and this is all right out of chapter 6. Seven reminders of what Jesus says about worry. Number one, verse 25 He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Number one, worry keeps us from enjoying what we have. Worry keeps us, robs us from enjoying what we already have. One of the things that I have done oftentimes, and if you don't know much about preachers or pastors, sometimes Mondays is a down day. Would you, Don, did you ever experience that in pastoral ministry? Monday, that you just kind of just felt the, you know, you're, you're gearing up for the next Sunday and you feel, and you're just kind of, your emotions are a little bit spent and Stetson, you know, busy on Sunday. And it's just part of, part of the deal. And so that's oftentimes when you can feel more emotionally vulnerable in the sense of just being downcast and, and, and those things that, that, you know, are typical and normal part of humanity. And I found that one of the things that helps me goes a long way is I read or I watch or I do something, uh, Teresa, uh, uh, on missions. And I had these set of DVDs I had somebody gave me, and I had them packaged for a long time, and there were about seven documentaries of going all over the world in indigenous mission, all over the world, and not interviewing the great white North American missionary, but people that are doing the work on the ground that are, that are doing it for pennies and the dollar, you know, just sacrificing. And I tell you, that is a wonderful therapeutic thing to do to a spoiled, whiny pastor who feels, oh, why didn't somebody tell me that message came from heaven on Sunday? Why didn't we have the altars filled with people being slain? Why, oh God? And you see people out there under the threat of, 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 of terror or whatever, and they're doing it with joy. I tell you, it doesn't take me long to be massively humbled and realize, God, forgive me of my sin of complaining or feeling low. I've got it. <laughs> i got it great. Worry causes us to forget what we have. And we have a lot. Sometimes, he, notice what he says, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? I think... For the most part, I've gotten beyond this, but I certainly remember a time as a teenager when making sure I had a shirt where the horse was going in the right direction with the mallet and those things, because if it was a knight waving a flag, that, you know, that, no, it had to be, as, you know, the horse had to be the right horse in the right direction, the stripe on the shoe had to be going the right way, because if it's going the wrong way, they know they came from, the, you know, whatever. You know, and I, I told you the story that my brother was obsessed with certain type of shirts that my mom cut out the tags from an expensive store, some old clothes that she had, and sewed them to the back of his shirts, and he thought they came from this high-priced store. So, the Bible says to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Because I will say this, and I bet no one can really challenge it. The poorest of poor in this country is infinitely wealthier than the poor in most every part of the world. Would you say that the poorest of the poor is wealthier than those individuals that have got their, that lady has her chair out at the dump? You know? So we have a lot to be thankful for. Praise God. Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Secondly, worrying makes us forget our worth. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And look at this, comparison. And yet, are you not much more valuable than birds? Now, I know we've, Miss Sandy loved birds. She loved birds, had a beautiful, I can never pronounce the name. Thank you. What did you say? Is it atrium? I think it's something else. What? Aviary. See, I can never remember that. I like atrium. That's easy to remember. And yet, we live in a culture, we love our animals. We love our animals. My dogs are rottenly spoiled. And my wife reminds me of that. They are babied. But yet, you know what? As good as it gets for them, it can't even be compared to the blessing and the care that our Heavenly Father commits to us. Are you not much more valuable than they are? No bird. Think about birds, since Jesus mentioned about birds of the air. No bird was ever created in the image of God or recreated in the image of Christ. No bird was ever promised to be a co-heir to rule and reign with Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. No animal, no bird was given that wonderful privilege. No bird has a place prepared for them in heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So are we not much more valuable to Him? Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Be reminded of that next time you drive by a store that says Pet Spa. Pet Day Spa. Only in America, right? The Bible says, and I won't give you the address, but just listen, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Paul says in Acts that he has purchased us with his own blood. We belong to him. God can take care of you. The job he gave you yesterday, he will provide one tomorrow. It may not, I can't, I'm not going to tell you it's going to be better. It may not be better. Let's just be honest. But what is better and greater is that God will take care of us regardless of whatever the circumstance is. Sometimes we, in our Christianese, we have painted a picture of the Christian life that we can't deliver. It may not be better. It isn't always greater. It isn't always more money. It isn't always a better car. But yet the sandals of your feet, your shoes will not wear out. You will not go a day without bread. David says, I have lived a long life and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Whatever God gives you, it's going to be better and it's going to be good and be content and be happy and be faithful in the little. What's the principle? If you're faithful in the little, God will bring more. Thirdly, worrying, verse 27, is completely useless. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Do we not live in a culture that is obsessed with longevity of life? And there is some wisdom and value in that, certainly, right? There's certainly value in diet and health and exercise and all those things that I need to do better at. There's wisdom in that. But you are not going to extend your day one nanosecond beyond 
what God has given and determined for your life. The Bible says, our days are written down and are numbered by you. God knows. Now, don't expedite the process by doing stupid stuff, right? The lifespan in the United States out of 220 some odd countries, we are, as of right now, about number 34. The number one highest life rate, which is almost 90 years of age, 89.57, I don't know what the .57 means, but anyway, 89, is Monaco. I think when that, when that Princess Grace and that whole group, Monaco. So there you go. Uh, Japan, number three. You think Bermuda is a good place to go. They're only 23. China. Average age, 75 is 100. Now, in the United States, the highest state, I wish I could tell you, is Florida, but it's not. It's Hawaii. You get to live till 81 there. Florida's number 22. So, if you need to move, get going. uh... (laughs) But you know all that's interesting, but you know it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because it's God. God made us. God made us. Worrying is completely useless. Useless. And we're obsessed with that. The Bible says, the psalmist says, the days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. David worshiped the Lord in Psalm 39, verse 5. You made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man or woman's life is but a vapor, a breath. I remember one time I was talking that I had some matches and I lit a match and blew it out and I said, there's your life. It's that quick. And you and I both know who are, well, everybody's getting older, I hope. If not, then you're in big trouble. But as you get older, it sounds like cliche, but it is so true. Time goes too quickly. You look at your pictures of your children and they have children. People you knew when you were, they were little tykes. Now they have grandchildren. Where did the time go? Still went, you know, seven days a week, 24. I mean, it was still there. But life goes at its rate that God has ordained. And my days are given by God for a set time and set purpose. What it should motivate me to do is to say, God, help me to be a steward of my time in my days wisely instead of obsessing and worrying about what I don't have or what I want. You've heard of the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Charles Mayo talking about how while worrying will not add to your life, Dr. Charles Mayo said it may actually detract from your life. Some of you who work in the medical community or field, Dr. Charles Mayo said worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. He says, I have never met a man or a woman to die of overwork, but I've known a lot who've died of anxiety or worry. That's the reason they can strap you up to a machine and tell whether you're telling the truth, because it's reading your reaction. Isn't that interesting that God made our bodies to not lie? 
that there's a physiological reaction to lie, to lying. I watch Dr. Phil, so I know when he brings that guy in, right? Not my personal example. E. Stanley Jones says, worry is the interest we pay with tomorrow's troubles. Number four, worry erases the promises of God from our mind. Look at verse 30 and 32. It talks about how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Oh, you of little faith. What do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? It says, don't worry about these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I believe it's the NIV that says, pagans, unbelievers. The ESV says, Gentiles. It's the same point as that this obsession by chasing after stuff is not a characteristic of the child of God. Is that this is what people who do not know God do. We should be different. The entire apparatus of the advertising world is designed to make you feel discontent with what you have. Do you realize that? That that beautiful car that you bought a few years back and you're so proud of, you don't allow anybody to eat in it, especially from McDonald's that has those little salts. That get, okay, I'm getting obsessed. All right, forget it. <laughs> My friend who was here last week when I was taking him to the airport, he said, well, let's just stop in uh, McDonald's. I said, okay, you want to go in? He said, no, we'll just eat in the car. I said, no, we're not going to eat in the car. We'll... we'll <laughs> He looked at me like, you are a freak. I said, I know, but that's why I have a clean car. But that beautiful car that you got, a few years later, you look over at the stoplight and you see the new model. And you remember the commercials. And all of a sudden now you think, how did I get this piece of junk? You realize the advertising world has to, every few years or so, have to come out with bigger, better, and improved Tide, Whisk, right? Glade, because you're thinking, well, what, what, what have I been using for 15 years, the old John? They, because otherwise they will not stimulate you to buy and, and, and do new things and pay more money because they've expanded. It's geared to make you discontent that your life stinks and that there's a better life out there if you would just buy this car, go to this place, live in this house, have this, this, that, and the other, whatever. That is the opposite of what God wants to instill in our lives. David, who was a worshiper, certainly had his focus right. He says, I was young and now I'm old, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging for bread. He learned what we forget. He said, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in days of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, O Lord, have never, never forsaken those who trust you. The Bible says that in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling He will hide me in the shelter of His tabernacle and set me upon a rock. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Cast your cares on the Lord, for He will sustain you. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all those who are bowed down. 
Isaiah said, the poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord says, will answer them. I will not forsake them. He says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Paul said, for we know that all God works all things together for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Who shall separate us? From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Why do we doubt? Why do we worry? Fifth, worry. And I alluded to this a little while ago. I won't belabor it is a characteristic of the unbeliever and not the Christian. Verse 32 says, Gentiles, pagans, unbelievers, they chase after these things. There's an obsession. There's a, there's a sense where they're never satisfied. When I think of this picture, some of you, I date myself with movies, but you remember Wall Street and Gordon Gecko? Greed is good. How much money does it take to satisfy a man Rockefeller Sr. was asked, and he said, just a little bit more, because we're never satisfied. We always want more. Talking about cars, I've told you the story when I, years and years ago, I got my first new car, a Nissan Sentra. I was not out of the parking lot. The ink was not dry on the paper of the loan that I was already out on Virginia Beach Boulevard in Virginia Beach, Virginia, when I immediately said, next time, Sean, I want a Maxima. I was in a new car. And I laughed at my own sinfulness and discontentment. Six, worry demonstrates wrong priorities in our life. Jesus wants to calibrate, recalibrate our minds, our spirit, when he says in verse 33, but seek first, what? The kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. What's our priority? He says, don't chase after the stuff. If you want to chase after something, chase after me. Chase after the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of the kingdom of God. And he says, then all these things. What things? Clothing, shelter, all the stuff that that God knows that you need, all these things will be given to you. See, in the United States in particular, maybe in the whole Western Hemisphere, but in the United States, that's where we live. The problem is when the pursuit of God's blessings, hear me, the pursuit of God's blessings is greater than the pursuit of God Himself. Did you catch that? The pursuit of God bless me, that's what we want. God, if you come with it, well, I guess we have to take you with it. What we really want is all the blessings. That's much of what drives our prayer. That's what drives and motivates us. Bless me, bless me, Lord, instead of God, give me more of you. Whether I don't have anything, but I have you. If I have you, I have everything. Remember Paul wrote in Romans 3, there is none who seek after God. You're like, what are you talking about? People are looking for God everywhere. No, they're not. 
They're looking for the stuff and the blessing that God wants to provide, but they're not looking for God Himself. They want contentment. They want material. They want blessing. They want joy. They want all the stuff that knowing God brings, but the last thing that they want We need God. Jesus said, seek first His kingdom. Seek Him first. To seek after His kingdom is to pour out our lives and the eternal things that really matter. Think about what we do on a day-to-day basis. Do they matter? Seek His kingdom. It is to seek the priority of loving people into the kingdom of God by being people of the gospel. Jesus said, instead of longing after the things of this world, where he says in verse 19, where moth and rust destroy, we're to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And the last observation in this passage is that worry tells God, when we worry, we essentially are saying, God, I just don't think you can handle this. I don't think this is up. I'm going to have to carry part of the load here, God, because I'm really not sure you can handle this. We basically tell God that we don't trust Him, right? We don't trust you. I I can trust you when things are going well. And I think sometimes God, oftentimes God allows the underpinnings to be knocked out from underneath us. As James' language says when we study the book of James, in the testing of your faith, testing to see what am I depending on? I remember when I was a church planter. That mean I didn't mean plant roses and around the church. It meant that I was leading a church plant, a new church in the Chicago area. And I did, I can tell you everything not to do. Okay? So if you want to know, I'll tell you everything not to do. And God brought families in. And we began to grow. And there was one particular family that came in and we were friends and things were going well and they were driving 30, 40 minutes and I mean just wonderful family, great couple. And they were wonderful givers. I mean their weekly giving, we were a church plant, we had expense, but their giving alone met our budget. Do you get the picture? Do I need to draw a stick man? Do you get the idea? I wish I could be super spiritual and tell you that, oh, it doesn't matter. But when you have to pay a facility and you have to provide for your family, you have to do all those things, it does matter. Does it matter if you get a paycheck or not? Are you like, hey, you know, you can't do it this week, don't worry about it. No. But they were they loved God and they were faithful in their giving. They were generous personally, just you know, that spirit. And I will never forget the day I was standing in my kitchen. I knew they were going to be moving, but I still thought it was within driving distance. And they called me and said, you know, it's going to be a little tougher drive where we're moving here in Chicago, and I think we're going to need to find a church closer. I would have, you know, I wish I could told you that I just sang the, you know, blessings of God, and I just fell into a worship time, shout to the Lord, was playing, you know, I wish I could tell you all that. I was like, are you kidding? I didn't say this to them. 
I was more spiritual. <laughs> I was more spiritual. Oh, well, you know, we want God's will. I hung up. No, we don't. We don't want God's will. We want you to stay here. <laughs> and God, in that instant, reminded me, who are you trusting? Are you trusting that family? Are you trusting me? And I sometimes wonder if God allows those seasons where we get, well, you know, things are good, and all of a sudden he just says, I'm going to pull it away a little bit because I think you're getting a little too dependent. And it reveals the tendency of our heart. The psalm or the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, my heart prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. God, I love your blessings. You know, if you come with it, that's good. But it's your blessings I want. No, we want God. And we don't trust God. And we begin to worry and are anxious. We're saying, God, I'm not sure I can trust you in this. I know what this says. I know what that says. I'm not dumb. But God, I don't know. It just, I'm worried that you, you're just not going to pay attention to me like you pay attention to somebody else in the church. How much more valuable are you? How much more valuable? God is the same God yesterday, today, tomorrow, eternally. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Be encouraged. It's not some lawyer on TV that says, we got this. God says, we got this. The triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God we worship. We got this. We can handle what we created. We can handle what we've saved. We can handle whatever it is. But seek first the kingdom of God. God is everywhere. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? God knows everything. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all of mankind. And God is powerful. With man this is impossible, Jesus said. But with God all things are possible. Sherry, if you'd, uh, and Teresa and those that are going to be leading us in worship, if you'd come at this time. Some of you may be familiar with the story behind this song that they're going to sing. Teresa sang it a few weeks back, sang it at um, Sandy's funeral, and it just seemed to be the Lord that would have us to close. Horatio Spafford was a dedicated, godly businessman whose life seemed to fall into much like Job. Sorrow and grief seemed to follow him. He lost his only son at the age of four to pneumonia. Later, he lost a large amount of his entire savings in the great Chicago fire when all of his buildings around the waterfront burned down in 1873. It wasn't too long in that year of 1873 that he booked a passage for his family trip to England. 
He wanted to attend one of the revivals that God was sweeping through England at that time. And how the day before they were to leave, uh, an important business uh, arrangement delayed him. And his wife and his three daughters went ahead and he was going to take the next ship out and would join them. The ship that his wife and family were on in part of that journey, an iceberg struck that ship and it went down quickly in the Atlantic Ocean. All three daughters died as a result of that ship sinking. Only his wife survived. And she sent him a telegram with just this, saved alone. She was it. Heart sick on his voyage to meet his wife in England, he asked the ship's captain to let him know when they were at that place where his daughters plunged into the icy sea. And when they arrived at that place in the Atlantic, the captain told him this was it. He went up to the deck to pray and to be comforted by God. Because in those moments, who else? And as he sought God, and as he prayed, he began to sense the peacefulness of the Holy Spirit. He thought how that peace was like a river and how terrible it must have been on that night for his children. Words and feelings kept pouring into his mind and he went back to his stateroom and wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, Thou has taught me to say, It is well. It is well with my soul. As we enter into worship for our clothes, let's enter into worship as this is sung this morning.